For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that. And I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It was the week of hometown heroes. Roger Federer wins his 10th career title in Basel. Dominic Team wins his first career title in his 10th try in Vienna. Two events that brought fantastic excitement, brilliant atmospheres. That's what you get when you have national heroes playing um, in a large scale, reaching the final, and... Uh, it was it was fantastic. It was a good week of tennis, um, without a doubt. Dominic Team and Diego Schwartzman played an extremely compelling final. The two finals were happening simultaneously, so at the same time, Roger Federer was beating Alex Di Minore quite comprehensively. Not as compelling a match, but uh, it was difficult for anyone who played Roger Federer this week to make it a decent match because he was simply that good. Federer took out Tsitsipas 6-4, 6-4 in the semifinal. He looked unbelievable, so we'll get into that. I will talk at a little bit more in a little bit more detail about the Team Schwartzman match, and then we'll move along to the last Masters 1000 event of the year. Oh my goodness, it is here. 2019, coming to an end faster than we realized. World Tour Finals around the corner. New Davis Cup I'm very excited for. Just just because it's new, it's going to be fresh, and I really don't know what to expect, so we have that to look forward to. But uh, for now, we focus on Paris, and we'll preview Paris in this video. And then finally, comment response. Uh, I think there's going to be a decent amount of time in this video for comment response. I'm going to try to keep things snappy. Do I say that every week? I think I do. Um, a little bit less volume, less comments to choose from, but still some good ones in there. Some very good ones in there. Let's take a look at our thumbnail. It's Dominic Team lying on the Vienna hard court. The indoor hard court that has confounded him throughout his career. He did win in Kitzbühel earlier this year, but he had yet to win in Austria's largest city, if I'm, if I'm correct with my urban geography, uh, Vienna. Good, good for Dominic Team and symbolic 
of a 2019, which has seen him have so much more success on hardcore or, well, yeah, I would say hardcore. I was going to say simply off clay, but he didn't have the best grass court season. So, so really just team has stepped it up off hardcore and overall he's never, he's never had a better year off clay. First, I'll get into the Schwartzman match, and then I will talk about why. Vienna, for the record, was his third title of the season off clay. The 1,000 in Indian Wells. Uh, this was a 500. The third one escapes me, but it was also a 500. So, team has had his best year by far off clay. The, uh, the Schwartzman match, Diego took the first set. He was hitting it so clean from the back with so much depth and depth. Uh, you know, he's able to take the ball on the rise and, and hit it so clean that uh, he was rushing team. And as a result, I don't feel, I feel like team was uh, a, a little bit, a little bit slow to get in position and uh, making a lot of errors off his forehand, getting pushed around a fair bit from Diego, but mainly it was the unforced errors from team that uh, Diego was just the more consistent player but also doing quite a bit of damage off of both wings when it comes to forcing Dominic team errors by, uh, by, by rushing him with the strength of his ball. This was an instance of team. I don't think it was really a tactical adjustment. I don't think Schwartzman dropped off, but team really elevated in the second and third sets um, and was able to play a lot better. Um, from the baseline, you know, things things were, were fairly even throughout the match. And it was an unbelievable baseline duel to, to watch because both of these guys are so darn talented from back there. But the, the biggest advantage that stuck out to me for Dominic Team in the second and the third sets where he got the better of Diego was the second serve. And uh, Team was basically able to open up any return point where uh, Schwartzman was hitting second serves, he was mainly able to find his forehand. And he was mainly, for the most part, I should say, able to tee off on Schwartzman's second serves. He got the upper hand at a very high rate off of his second serve return. And it's a product of one team second serve return is excellent. I mean, he's got, he's such a big hitter. And on the second serve, it kind of gives him time to open up and, and take a big cut at the ball. But Schwartzman's second serve, just it's not very big, his kick serve. And in this against this particular opponent, against Dominic Team, with the power he has, it really hurt Diego. And he needed to do a better job of, of putting it maybe in, in better spots in the box or or maybe hitting it with a little bit more heaviness, um, perhaps a bit more depth, maybe trying to play a little bit closer to the lines with his second serve. That would be the main critique that I would have for Schwartzman is he was really letting team open up the points with an aggressive forehand when he was hitting second serves. Team has this really, really strong kick serve, and Schwartzman just did not garner the same advantage off of return, even when he had a look at second serves. So out of all of the power dynamics in the match, I felt that was the power dynamic, the main power dynamic that was shifting things in Team's favor was undoubtedly the second serve returning. 
Now, I want to go to the uh, the tape here. Uh, something that I saw from team all week it was um, the strength of his down-the-line backhand and his backhand overall. He will always have his forehand. And his forehand is right up there with Nadal and Federer and Del Potro and Tsitsipas, the best forehands in the game. Team is right there. He belongs in that category. And that that hasn't really changed throughout his career. Now, his shot selection has gotten much better on his forehand, but still, it's the same shot. His backhand, meanwhile, has shown massive improvement very, um, you know, quite rapidly over the last two years. I want to take a look at this point. Um, team opens up here with uh, a big inside-out forehand, and this is another... I didn't, I didn't want to go back too far in this point because it would have taken too long, but... This is off of a second serve return. This is the second ball that that team gets. And he gets to really tee off here on an inside-out forehand. And he's going to put Schwartzman in his backhand corner. And I put a, re a little red line where the uh, where the middle of the court is. And, and you're going to see team smartly understands that Schwartzman on, is on the defense. Understands that he has a very difficult open stance backhand. And is going to start leaning to his left because team wants to set up his forehand here. This is a tactic that any player with, you know, a really big forehand is going to use. I feel like David Ferrer did it with the most, he, he's the most noticeable candidate. But uh, Nadal does it. Uh, Fernando Verdasco does it. A uh, Roger Federer certainly does it. Um... Any player who wants to finish with forehands is going to do this. If if I see that Schwartzman is in the corner on his back foot, well, I'm going to anticipate the cross-court defense. But Schwartzman is so incredibly talented that he strikes this ball so well that even, even though Dominic Team is sitting on the cross-court, the ball is so well struck, so perfectly struck, that Team is still going to have to hit a backhand. The difference with Team late in this match and all week, was there was no hiding or there was no escape valve defensively with the Dominic team backhand. And even though Schwartzman right here looks like he's neutralized the point and it looks like they're going to get back to back to even, team actually doesn't allow that to happen because he takes this next ball down the line. He hits it quite well. Schwartzman again defending and he'll defend cross court. It's a little bit short, though, this, this defense. And again, team's going to go down the line. This time, a clean winner. Schwartzman doing too much running. Can't recover to the middle. The ball get, gets weaker and weaker. And now team has the even bigger wing unleashing perfect placement down the line. But uh, the backhand down the line was, was so good all week from team. And that'll make a much bigger difference on faster surfaces. I want to emphasize that it's been something that I know I've talked about with Nadal getting better um, off clay. Uh, team will see a similar effect. On clay, he's going to hit more forehands. The faster the court gets, the more backhands he needs to hit. Not as much time to use the footwork to run around. Plus, he um, needs to be a little bit more aggressive with his court positioning. So he has to hit more backhands. This week, um, his backhand... Placement-wise, total dual threat. So good with the backhand down the line. 
but also so good at recognizing when he needs to play safe cross court, he needs to shorten up the swing. And uh, without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. That's been probably number one on my list of team improvements on faster courts shortening the backhand wing, playing it safe cross court. It, there used to be a time in Team's career where if you played strong to his backhand, you were going to get errors on fast courts because he had this big, long, uh, you know, explosive backhand, and he just didn't know. And Shapovalov is still struggling with this. You have to be able to shorten the swing and play safe cross court. And guess what? When the ball's coming too quick, when Team can't shorten his swing enough, he has the slice. Now he has the slice. If the ball's coming quick and team doesn't feel like he can get in position fast enough, he simply slices the ball. It's not the best slice. It floats a little bit. He's not someone who really sticks the slice nice and low. No, it's an average slice. But guess what? It's not an error. It's not an error. And team is very, very fast. He can make up the ground. So it gets the job done. It limits his errors. It changes up the pace. It's like in baseball when a pitcher throws 95, but then they, you know, when their fastball is 95 and their changeup is 80, it's really hard to get the timing right when you have that speed disparity. And the same thing is for team who hits his one-handed backhand as hard as anyone, and then he has this kind of slower floating slice. It, uh, it disrupts rhythm. I don't think that's the primary purpose. I think that's a, a secondary byproduct of it. The main thing is that he has something that he's comfortable. He has a safe shot that he's comfortable playing when he doesn't have a lot of time. Um, the big thing is that he's able to withstand, absorb pace off of his backhand wing. So mixing in the slice... Uh, shortening his strokes, that goes for his forehand. His forehand as well. He's learned how to shorten the strokes on faster courts. He still, he'd rather swing long because he gets so much power, but sometimes he can shorten it and he's learned how to do that. Take time away and finish at the net because his volleying is much improved. I've covered this already on the channel at, at various points, uh, so I'm going to move on. But, uh, if, if you want a bullet point, because I know people will be talking about it this week. If you want bullet points, why is team better on faster courts? Shortening his swing. Um, mixing in the backhand slice. Improving his court position. And finishing at the net. Nicholas Masu remains my coach of the year. He is my pick for coach of the year. Because he took a guy in Dominic Team who ha had incredible abilities with his athleticism, his forehand, and his kick serve. And is turning him into a well-rounded player. I always hesitate to give too much credit to the coach. The players have to put in the work. But I, I gotta say, the way Team has developed, 
Nicholas Masu is my coach of the year. Moving on to Federer. Good time to drink espresso. Mm. Um, moving on to Federer and Basel. The the main thing I was thinking about watching his run this week was uh, simply how much better he he is at this point of year uh, compared to where he was last year. Night and day. He won the title in Basel last year, but anyone who watched him knew he was 75% of what he uh, of where he can be when it comes to Roger Federer. His forehand is 10 times better right now. That's the number one thing is is the forehand and and the movement also looked so good this week. What was wrong with his forehand last year? Was it was it the hand injury? I don't know, but but the only thing that I could really think about watching Federer roll through Tsitsipas, roll through Di Minore, was uh, how much better his forehand is right now compared to the same time last year. But this is why Federer isn't really thinking about retirement. Now I think you know he might be one injury away, so I'm not saying. Never take never take Roger Federer playing at, at this age for granted because he could be one injury away from from retirement with his age. But the the reason you can't be too concerned yet is right now he's he's still making improvements upon himself. He's not going down. He's not going in the wrong direction. He's he played so much better this week in Basel than he did last year in Basel. Uh, the level was incredible. He's also someone who um, I'm seeing a lot of aggression off of his backhand wing, hitting over his backhand. I think he feels really good about that shot right now. Uh, I think he feels quite good defending, moving really well, um, and hitting his forehand with tons of conviction at the moment. Decided not to play Paris. I think he's going to be a threat at the World Tour Finals with the way he played. That's all I got on Federer. Let us go to a preview of Paris. And then we'll get to comment response. We start with Novak Djokovic's quarter. The top spe- the top seeds are Djokovic, Tsitsipas, RBA, and Schwartzman. This quarter is it's weirdly the same as it was in Shanghai. You have Djokovic and Tsitsipas again the, the top seeds paired together. You have Demonor again in this quarter, and he was he was in a quarter with Tsitsipas and Djokovic last time. He remains my dark horse. Uh, th- this is still um, a good surface for him. Shanghai's a better surface for him, though. Uh, I don't... Paris, it, it never seems too overly speedy to me. It seems like it's, it's um, a fair bit slower than Shanghai. Um, Roberto Bautista Agut is right now ninth place in the race to London. So um, he could really use a win, but a tough draw with uh, Demonor possibly in the second round as long as he beats uh, Laszlo Jarrett, who uh, he would be uh, heavily favored against. Demonor and RBA have played once. It was earlier um, in the Asian hardcourt swing, and... The demon waxed RBA. I think it was 6-2, 6-2. So an unfortunate draw for RBA. And uh, he's on upset alert here. Fritz versus TFO, round one. 
I, I really like this matchup because you got to think that, that Francis TFO is going to feel some extra motivation right now because Taylor Fritz has kind of overtaken him as the the promising American in this generation. By the way, Riley Opelka is coming on very, very strong. And uh, he'll be a top 20 player, no doubt, uh, in his career. But uh, TFO has had a difficult season. And it's it's good to see the two young Americans facing off and uh, see who gets an upper hand in that matchup. But I have Djokovic coming through this quarter. I don't think we'll see a, a repeat of Shanghai. Tsitsipas, I would say, is on fatigue watch. He's now played two weeks in a row. Did he play the week before? He may have played the week before. I will check on that. In the meantime... Uh, Daniil Medvedev's quarter, he has Dominic Team, he has David Gafan, and he has John Isner. Um, Daniil Medvedev is, uh, grew up in Paris, trained here for, for most of his career, or, or most of his young career, I should say, as a tennis player. Um, so he's very comfortable in the city. He speaks French. Um, so, so that's one thing that is under underratedly can can be a factor for for players and their comfort level in a given city. Uh, Dominic Team, I don't feel like this court is too fast for him, and I still think that there is such thing as too fast for Team, uh, which is why the dark horse I have Milos Raonic. Raonic will face Team in round two. It's also my early popcorn match, and the thing to watch out for in that one is. Raonic will definitely test team's backhand return, which to me has always been a question mark on, on speedier surfaces. Again, this is, I think, a medium speed court, but Raonic has such a big serve that uh, I will be interested to see how team's backhand return did. For example, I mean, I predicted team's first round loss in Wimbledon to Sam Query because I knew that Query was going to be able to serve really big into team's backhand and come to the net a lot on a, a slick, you know, first couple days at Wimbledon grass court. So team's backhand return is going to be tested in this one, big time. I do think he gets through the Raonic test. Raonic is uh, coming back from injury. He, he nearly ended his season. He nearly had surgery, Milos Raonic, but he decided to go for an alternative uh, treatment, if I'm not mistaken, and recovered faster than normal. So Raonic kind of thought he might be done for the year, but he's back. In one respect, he's playing with house money. In another respect, he's probably not back to 100%, so I do favor Dominic Team. But in a meeting with Daniil Medvedev, I, um, I will favor Medvedev. I'm not going to get into the X's and O's of that match. I thought about it, but we got to get to comment response. Alexander Zverev's quarter. I know I said I was going to look something up a couple moments ago, but I completely forgot what it was. Oh, did Tsitsipas play before? Yeah, I'll try to look that up while I'm talking. Um, Roger Federer withdrew from this tournament, which means uh, Zverev is the sixth seed, but he actually gets his own quarter. Let's see. Tsitsipas played Beijing, then he played Shanghai, and then he played, um, and then he also played 
uh, I might pro- uh, botch the pronunciation. He also played uh, Zhuhai. Zhuhai? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, Tsitsipas is on fatigue watch. Fatigue watch for Stefanos, and he needs to start playing less. He really does, because uh, this is not this is not sustainable. Um, for you know, for, for for Medvedev, I noticed a lot of people are saying, "Oh, Medvedev is playing too much," even though he he did withdraw. He he withdraw for, withdrew from a tournament recently to rest up, which was smart by him. But Medvedev didn't know he was going to be doing this much winning when he made his schedule. Tsitsipas. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. He has to know by now, and he should have known last year that come this time of year, he should be taking more weeks off. So that's another reason why I'm going to have Djokovic beating Tsitsipas in his quarter because I think fatigue will, will be a concern here. So Zverev's, Zverev's quarter, it's almost barren. There's like no seeds in this quarter. It's just Zverev, Fanini, and Monfils. I have Monfils coming through. He's been very impressive on hard court. It's good for him that it's kind of a uh, it's a a slower hard court that helps Monfils, gives him some more time, uh, makes his defense a little bit stronger, and uh, he's played some really in- impressive hard court tennis at times this year. I think that he'll he'll step it up in front of his home crowd, and I think he makes the semifinal here of a Masters 1000 tournament. It 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 feels right to me. He he has the draw to do it. Uh, my dark horse is Shapovalov. Let's see who Chapeau plays, just to refresh myself. Chapeau plays Gilles Simon, so an, another uh, Frenchman. And then he, uh, the winner of Simon and Chapeau play Fanini. Uh, so that's, a, uh, that's also a nice draw for Chapeau. Slower hardcourt is the best surface for Shapovalov. And, and indoor conditions. I feel like Shapovalov should like indoor conditions because... It gives him a, an opportunity to be precise, and the cleaner the tennis is, the better it is for Chapo's aggressive style of play. Upset alert, Fabio Fanini. Um, no real rhyme or reason. I just think if he plays Chapo, I think Chapo um, has a good chance to beat him. Zverev Verdasco, early popcorn, round two. Who's going to hit less double faults in that match? That's the question. I have Zverev, though. Verdasco... Um, Loves attacking the righty backhand, wins a lot of matches that way, and, and we know how how solid Zverev is off that wing. So I got Sasha in that one. Just a quick tactical nugget there. Nothing too complex, obviously. Uh, number two, uh, Rafael Nadal's quarter. He is back, so him and Federer switch places from Shanghai to Paris. They kind of swap, and uh, Nadal has a fascinating quarter by far the most interesting quarter of this tournament Hatchinoff, Berrettini, Vavrinka uh, there's also Sanga in this quarter Chilich is in this is in this quarter um, Struff is in this quarter uh, notice something Vavrinka is in this quarter they took all the big hitters and they put them in the same quarter with Nadal Un- unreal 
Yeah, I mean, this is such a deep quarter. I mean, I just feel like everyone in here ha is has a very big threatening game. Um, Nadal is so good at coming off vacation. He's just been married. He said he took one day off after getting married. He took one day, and then he was back to work, back on the practice courts. Uh, so if anyone's wondering, is marriage going to be a distraction? Is he going to come in out of shape? It's really – that's almost never a problem with Nadal. It's just not his nature. Uh, so Nadal will be ready. He's so good when he takes a break and he comes off layoffs. He's oh, He always plays really good tennis coming off of breaks. So uh, I don't think rust is a concern. I don't think marriage is concerning. And congratulations to Nadal and Maria on that one. Um, the only thing that's that's threatening for Nadal is a lot of really really big hitters. And on an indoor hard court, it's um it's a lot easier for big hitters to keep the errors down. And we saw that with like Karen Hatchinov last year, who's also in this quarter. Um, We'll talk about Nadal and on in, in uh, indoor hard courts. I think there's some questions on that in the comments. My dark horse is Sanga, who just impressed me today. I'm kind of cheating here because I, I do this on Monday and the tournament's already started. That's an impressive win over Rublev because Rublev is playing really good tennis and uh, Sanga is uh, is doing his thing here, serving, getting to the net whenever he can, whenever he can, hitting his forehand big, hitting it flat, and. Uh, not doing too much on his backhand because he knows exactly what that shot is and it's just a pedestrian shot. Upset alert, Karen Hatchinov. Lots of pressure. That's it. Lots of pressure and not great form. It's always difficult when the confidence level doesn't match the expectations and the pressure. It's always a dangerous position to be in. And uh, Hatchinov uh, doesn't have a kind draw either. No one in this quarter has a kind draw. Literally no one. Um, early popcorn. Favrinka and Chilich. Chilich beat uh, Hugo uh, Humbert pretty comprehensively earlier, which is a, a really nice win for Marin Chilich in his down 2019. He takes on Favrinka. Winner faces Nadal. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. Let's go to the final weekend. Djokovic over Medvedev in three sets. Um... Eventually, Medvedev is going to lose. I'll keep it simple there. Nadal over Monfils in two sets. This is a really tough matchup for Monfils. It always is. And I, I, I like him to make the semis, but I, I, don't, I don't like him to uh, make the final. And then this was one, the final I, I went back and forth on, Djokovic or Nadal. I, I did consider Nadal in this spot, um, especially because Djokovic... If, if he gets Medvedev, it's kind of tempting to, to take Nadal because that's going to be physic that's going to be a physical match and there's not going to be rest. Um, and if Nadal has Monfils, I'd be pretty certain that Nadal would come in fresher. But this is there's a reason why Nadal uh, does not love this court here in Paris and does not love the court in. Lo Look, it's it's not the surface for Nadal to beat Djokovic on. It's just not. Um, most of that is due to the bounce, the low bounce, which really allows the ball to stay in Djokovic's strike zone, where normally Djokovic has to do a lot of hard work. When, when he's on clay, Djokovic has to do a lot of hard work 
to try to hang with Nadal when the ball is bouncing above his shoulders out of his strike zone. He has to do a lot of footwork to try to keep the height of the ball in a manageable area. And it's a night and day difference for Djokovic uh, dealing with Nadal on a low bouncing court versus a high bouncing court. So I didn't pick Nadal, picking Djokovic. I did think about it though. All right, comment response at the 30 minute mark. Let's try to go about five minutes here. Um, Drew Dribon, Dribon, Dribon. Hello, Gil. Love your show. Thank you. Can you explain to me why Nadal's game doesn't suit at all in indoor? Nadal is able to use aggression like we saw this year. In addition, some some indoor tournaments are slow like London. Uh, is it just because the bounce is lower and that all these tournaments are at the end of the year? Thanks. So I already talked about the bounce and, uh, and, and Djokovic in particular. The low bounce is huge, but I want to make one other point. Joke, uh, Nadal, rather, is great in the wind. He's a great wind player because, and trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, because he has incredible footwork with, you know, small adjustment steps, and he has so much spin that he's able to hit through the wind. Well, you go inside, there's no wind. So it's an equalizer. His opponents who maybe would make more errors outside and Nadal would have that advantage where he's, his footwork is better and he is more consistent out there. Maybe a guy who can redline like Karen Hatchinov is going to make less errors inside against Nadal than he would outside against Nadal. So it's not that Nadal is worse. It's that his opponents are actually better. And where Nadal... Uh, normally enjoys an advantage outdoors, that advantage dissipates. It's not that Nadal plays worse. It's that his opponents play better. They play cleaner. They play bigger. Um, yeah, I think I think serving, serving and, and aggression in cleaner conditions are going to be more rewarded. And Nadal right now, I mean, again, he, he is getting more aggressive, but still... Um, that is another advantage that dissipates when he's inside. Think about all the reason why he's good in the wind and think about how that advantage just doesn't exist um, indoors. It's just harder to track. It's easier to track the flight of the ball. The tennis is cleaner overall. So um, even if there's no wind and you're outside, it, uh, the footwork is a little bit harder. Swagar, Swagat Carr asks... These are the top three comments, by the way. Hello, Gil. Love your show and your analysis. Thank you. Just wanted to ask you something that was asked last week, too. Why do the next-gen guys have relative success against Federer and Djokovic but struggle against Nadal? Is it because of his heavy forehand, or are there other factors at play, too? The forehand definitely takes a while to get used to. Um, and th the first time you play Nadal, I think that can be something where it's like, whoa, what's going on here? What is this? Even if you're ready for it, it's a very strange shot to return. And I think Federer and Djokovic are anyone who's played Nadal. They get it. They know what they have to do. They they understand what they're getting themselves into. Nadal is, I think, sometimes more mentally intimidating than Djokovic and Federer. But here's what I think is the number one biggest reason. And and I should add that the young players are a little bit more susceptible to being mentally intimidated, if you know what I mean. Uh, the veterans are are less likely that's less likely to play a role 
Um, and the other guys are intimidating too. I'll, I'll throw that in as a caveat. But here's what I want to say about this. Nadal's been better against everyone in the last two years. Who has Nadal lost to the last two seasons? I mean, he's essentially only lost to Federer and Nadal. Lost to Tsitsipas in Madrid. I mean, he, he, he lost early on in the clay court season when he wasn't healthy, wasn't 100%. If you look at the last two seasons, Nadal isn't losing. So you ask a question like, why is Nadal beating the next-gen players with more consistency than Federer and Djokovic? The real answer might be Nadal is beating everyone with more consistency compared to Djokovic, who has had more ups and downs with his game, less consistency, and uh, Federer, where you can say the same thing. Say the same thing about Federer and, and his ups and downs, whether that has to be with confidence or health or whatever it be. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, Ryan Locke asks, should Tsitsipas have achieved more in his career so far, given that he's only won three titles at the 250 level? Where in his game should he be looking to improve? Tsitsipas continues, uh, continuously needs to get stronger on his backhand. Uh, he needs to, he has, again, he needs to improve in the same areas where team has improved, where when he's put under pressure on his backhand side, he needs to get better at shortening things up. His slice is not good. So he, he's not, he's not very good at using that as a, um, as a plan B when he's rushed on his backhand side. His serve, I think he can get more out of his serve. He kind of falls to his left. I'm wondering if Tsitsipas' serve can be bigger, if it was technically a little bit more sound. So I think there's technique improvements to make there. His volleying, awesome. His forehand, awesome. Also, his defense, his defensive skills could perhaps um, use some improving. And that might just be about mindset, maybe doing some drilling. Uh, his legs will probably get a little bit stronger than they are right now, which should be able to help him on the run. I think Tsitsipas is in a good spot. I don't think that there's anything alarming, though, about his development. And, uh, you know, you say just three titles, 250 level, yeah. But I, I really don't think that there's anything alarming about Tsitsipas' development. All right, I want to keep getting to a couple more. Um, let's see, what do I have? Two more questions? Yeah, two more questions by uh, two famous commenters. I'm not. I'm going to save time and not read the entire comments. Uh, but this is Gold Wolf's comments, comment. And let's see, what, what's the question? I'm, oh, the, the question is that, um, is team the second favorite in Australia? Or what exactly is the question? Second favorite? What does this... Rafa is so unlucky at the Aussie, and Medvedev is obviously the one to bet on now. Does team deserve to be put in the top tier of favorites at the hardcourt slams now? Right, that's the question. Okay. Um, 
At the U.S. Open, absolutely 100%. Australian Open, so far, in my opinion, from what I've seen from Team's game, it's still too fast. It's still too far out of his comfort zone. When it comes to um, how much time he has to load up the power on his forehand, when it comes to how well he's able to return on his backhand side especially, but just overall the first serve return, to me, he's it's still too fast in Australia. But I would say New York... If I'm guessing right now, team's team's there. U.S. Open 2020, I expect team to be right there as as someone who who could win it. Last one, Interian Terry asks, uh, which one of the big three is the most talented? That's the uh, the crux of this question. Talent is is really 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 difficult def- uh, term to define, but. I suppose it it means, you know, if they all, let's say they were all slackers and none of them worked hard, who would be the best? And I would probably have to go with Federer. But I really think that the the whole Federer is so talented thing takes away from all the hard work that, that Federer does do which is, has almost been something that I think bothers Roger a little bit, that everyone thinks he's so talented that, oh, you know, Nadal and Djokovic work hard and Federer doesn't. I don't really think, it's not that I don't think, I know that isn't the case. Meanwhile, on Nadal's side, people say, well, Nadal, that guy's all about hard work. He's not, he's not really that talented. That is also a load of absolute garbage um, because Nadal is... The racket skills that he possesses, the God-given abilities he has with his racket. I mean, this is Nadal is still a guy with amazing hands. Uh, but I really think the the best, um, the most creative player, the the most magical creative player, the ability to hit shots that that really you just can't practice. Uh, I think Federer is, is the best at that. Um, and I think that's a good a good representation of how naturally gifted someone is, is how well do they hit shots that you can't practice? And Federer, whether it be hitting overheads off of other people's overheads, whether it be um, hitting around the pole, you know, things like that, I think I think that would lead me to say that if you if I have to pick between the big three, who's the most talented? I'd go with Federer. They're all so incredibly talented, and at the end of the day, uh, to make a all-time great player, it takes hard work, a very specific type of personality, and so much God-given talent. You you think that Diego Schwartzman is not uh, gonna be is hasn't won a slam because he doesn't work hard enough? You're crazy if you think that. No one thinks that though. I know everyone knows that. But so many players work as hard. This is my my opinion. A ton of players on the tour work as hard as the big three. Plenty do. Now, you know, not most. I'm just saying a lot do. I'm not saying most do, but a lot do. And they'll never be as good as the big three because they just weren't, they just, they just don't have it. They never had it. They weren't born like that. Didn't matter how hard. I worked. I'm not going to be a pro- professional tennis player. Everyone has excuses, but it's a lot about what you were born with. It really is. 
and then you work hard to try to maximize that. Um, and that's my take on talent. Anyway, I will see you next week to um, discuss the proceedings uh, in Paris. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.